Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. This podcast is brought to you in part by you, our friends and supporters at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Ba Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations, so here's a little bit about what they've done and how I know them. Amazingly, I met Mike Seymour back in 2002 when he visited our learning center in Northern California. At that time, he was enmeshed in deep study and understanding of holistic education and principles, had been deeply influenced by Parker Palmer and many other notables in the field, and then went on to what you'll hear, an illustrious career bringing forth social justice and helping international understanding of children, by children, and for children, and in helping teachers find inspiration in their own lives and practice. You can find Mike's bio and links to all of his works on our website at www.remarkable-educators.com. Hey, welcome, Mike, and thank you so much for joining us on Meetings with Remarkable Educators. How are you doing today? Good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. Mike, we are, we've both been in the field a while, and um, one of the, um, to me, one of the most important questions I get asked all the time is, what exactly is holistic education? What is its philosophy? And especially since uh, the turn of the century, who who is really articulating this well? And when I hear that, I think of you and some of your early work, especially, and of course, later on. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, about the philosophy and just who's who in the world right now and that sort of thing. Well, let me... Um, put a caveat right at the front end. I, I don't consider myself uh, an expert or specialist in holistic education. I am, I am, um, I would probably call myself more a progressive educator. So I'm going to be speaking partly out of ignorance. And, uh, and so let me do my best. What I have discerned from the people I've met and from the reading that I've done and my own experience is that Holistic education is not only about the whole person, but I think the one distinctive is that holistic education tends to acknowledge the spiritual dimension of people in the educational process. And um, uh, is really not just educating the mind, but is educating the heart um, and the, uh, the senses and, um, and, and is has a focus also on, on what in sort of conventional terms would be called social and emotional learning. Um, so it's a more, it, it is a more holistic model of educating. It's not just speaking to the mind, but it's also speaking to the other dimensions of the human being. Great. And you, you in your, in your 2002 uh, book, uh, interviewed some pretty interesting people. Can you tell us anything about those experiences? Wow. Um, <laughs> well, actually, there were some incredible people there. I mean, Fritjof Capra, I was really interested. You know, he has a, he has, um, he's been working in the field of education. He's got a center there in San Francisco. Uh, Nell Nottings was one. Um, yeah, Nell's been a guest of ours on this, on this podcast. 
And you were also speaking, I think, with Parker Palmer back then? Parker Palmer. Parker Palmer has been a real seminal influence for me because uh, more than any other educator that I know, uh, he talks about um, the, the, the selfhood of the, of the educator being paramount in the process. His, a famous uh, saying of his, which is also a title of an article and book, is we teach who we are. And, um, and so the question is, who are we? And, and what are we bringing forward in our classrooms and in our teaching? And, and are we being present to ourselves and our students? So he has definitely inf- helped me to inform a lot of my own thinking. So then what are you saying then that a part of holistic or I don't know if we could talk about some distinctions between holistic and progressive. I don't know if that's really of our main concern here. But at least in holistic terms, it's not just bringing forth the spirituality, but it's the quality of the person teaching that's really also critical to uh, success. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, it's, it's really quite evident. I mean, parents everywhere, e- even if they're not sophisticated about education, they have an, an instinct for who is a good teacher and who's not. And every, every single parent wants their kid to get that particular teacher. And, and who is that particular teacher? You know, we, we, and we fortunately, you know, we come across, we, we reach about 2,500 teachers a year. So we're exposed to a lot of educators in public schools. And there's always this 15%, 20% of teachers in every school who just somehow shine They've they've got enthusiasm. They're authentic. They're connected to who they are. The subjects they they teach come alive and students are engaged. And so it's the passion and the aliveness of the teacher that engages the students and touches their heart in some way and touches their mind. So that has been a major theme of what we've tried to do at the Heritage Institute is how do we understand what makes teaching and learning come alive? So, well, let's let. I, I mean, I I enjoyed so much talking with with people like yourself who have really thought about this and spent a lot of time considering it. And one of the challenges um, I've come across is, for instance, I have found some teachers of uh, of history or humanities, and yet the subject matter they choose is kind of a traditional Western civilization type courses, which, as we know now, are rife with bias, prejudice, and dismissal of all kinds of people, including women and people of color and that sort of thing. So what if a person has that enthusiasm, but the pedagogy uh, isn't necessarily one that brings forth uh, a sense of wholeness? Well, you bring, a, you bring an interesting point there because you, you were talking content and process. Content is the, the content of the pedagogy, how it's oriented, what's the spin, uh, and the process is the, the human process of, of, of who's bringing it forth. Um, I, I, would like to, I would like to feel that we can do both, but it's, it's not always the case in the schools today. Um, probably... Heritage Institute engages more in the process side of things. We, 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 do, we do 
touch on a lot of what I'd call progressive content. But it's really hard, Bob, in, and it's been hard for the last 20 to 30 years uh, to bring in truly progressive content. You get pushback from teachers. You get pushback from parents. Um, I mean, just something as simple as, um, uh, you know, a, a documentary on climate change, for example. Um, 15 years ago, uh, we, we were teaching about climate change and uh, uh, the superintendent of the Federal Way School District um, disallowed the use of a particular, uh, uh, you know, uh, documentary movie that we were recommending for our for our, uh, our our course for teachers. They they were not able to bring that into their teaching. So, um, I, I I try to honor what's possible uh, within the constraints of what teachers are dealing with. Um, and so some people might say, well, you're, you're um, trading on your, uh, on your idealism for, for pragmatism. But I, I'm really most invested in how do we help teachers to um, stay alive to the truth that's in them. And, and so, so are there specific um, ways that you help bring that about with the, uh, with the teachers with whom you work? Well, I think, the, I think the work with Parker Palmer probably is the one that I go back to again and again and again, because we, we, we really emphasize um, and we respect teachers' ability to get in touch with who they are. They get lost in um, sort of the, the default teaching mode. Uh, it's easy for teachers to get lost in the pressures that are around them to do it a certain way. Um, they have their own um, baggage, their own uh, neuroses to deal with, which are, are complicating factors. Um, there, there could be family pressures that are complicating factors. So there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of dynamics that are going on that make it hard for teachers to really be settled in who they are and to speak from that particular truth. So we, we have a whole series of courses around wellness that deal with physical wellness, that deal with di proper diet, that, that deal with, um, you know, things like keeping a journal, just listening to your mind and your heart and getting grounded in who you are, sort of coming back to what you know is really honest and true about yourself. And, and I have enough faith, you know, most of the teachers that I have met came into the profession because they want to do something good. They, they have that instinct to give back. That's why they're in this profession. So we, we play upon that and say, yeah, you're here because you had a dream at one point. Let's just figure out how to keep that alive and bring it forward. I see. So um, one of the places or leverage places uh, I've tried to concentrate on, and albeit with not a tremendous amount of success in terms of bringing it forward to others, I mean, well, by what I mean by that is bringing it forward in a wide way into in a you know kind of expansive way into society. Although I've had a lot of success with individual groups of teachers, is in teacher training. I, I was appalled. Um, we know, like for instance, Nell Noddings, Columbia, Stanford, you know, all her tremendous accolades and. Yet when I looked on the uh, websites for teacher training in those very well-respected uh, teaching institutions, it was the same old stuff. 
very little on child development, very little on holistic thinking, very little on care of education, which was Nodding's point of view, nothing on partnership education, uh, which is, you know, Rianne Eisler's really content-oriented for that sort of thing. And uh, the teacher training just seems to be a, a place to me where it's just stuck and stuck and stuck again. What about you? What do you think of that? Yeah, it, it, it is, um, it's state driven. Um, we, you know, um, right now education is a product of state mentality. And, and as we know, the state, um, is only provisionally oriented towards the human and it's, and the human's development. Uh, it is, the state is looking out for its own interests and its own interests are largely economic. So we are educating for economic being and not human being and belonging. So every single teacher program that wants to get any kind of enrollment has to be able to qualify a teacher for state certification. Every single state has required content in the curriculum for a, for a graduate degree, as a case in point, and even for an undergraduate degree. So it's all scripted. And... Um, there's no way of getting around that except if you've got an exceptional educator or an exceptional department of education in a particular college or university that says, you know, we want to go outside the nine dots. We, yeah, we want to fulfill the requirements, but we want to do so with a certain twist. Now, Antioch University does a reasonably good job of that. Uh, Portland State University has had components in their graduate programs, one of their strands of graduate programs of, of education that do that, uh, there are pro- we could probably name a dozen or so universities that that have a twist to the required curriculum, but they are far and few between, unfortunately. And so you're graduating a lot of teachers from graduate schools of education who have no understanding of what we're talking about right here, they have, they have instincts, they have natural instincts to want to come from the heart, to want to love kids, to want to do what's exciting and what's different. But the constraints around them, I think, um, are fairly intimidating. Yeah, thank you for that. That's, that's very well said, and I couldn't agree more. I taught uh, uh, at Portland State, and I taught a course in burnout or how to avoid burnout, and people thought it was uh, ways to avoid it were, you know, kind of have good, you know, good home life, which certainly helps and hug your cat and that sort of thing. But time and time again, every every uh, teacher I worked with, just unbelievably, every one of them said, the main way I get burned out is I don't have human to human relationships with my students. I came in for those idealistic or maybe not so idealistic reasons of wanting to connect to young people and do something different. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there's ways around that, but it takes, it it takes a higher level of consciousness than the teacher. Um, We have had the good fortune of encountering a lot of teachers and we have instructors who, who fall into this category too, who know how to walk the line of what's required in the school district but then who push the envelope a little bit and enough so that the light really comes through and kids are excited that the, the teacher's passionate about what they're doing and something profound happens. And, and to me, 
when we have, when we can produce aha moments in kids, when we, when we set the context where kids are, are waking up, waking up to who they are, waking up to their heart, waking up to their passion, as far as I'm concerned, we've done a good job. And, and we see that happening. And so that's kind of the thread that my institute has tried to weave through our existence is how do we, how do we play the game that we have to play in order to be able to have teachers take our courses? Because we could, we could also, by the way, I, I could have shifted way over to the liberal, obviously liberal side, but soon, sooner than later, um, when, when a teacher would bring a catalog, our catalog uh, to her principal and say, hey, I want to take this course, can you approve it? We wouldn't have gotten approved. Right now we have earned our reputation and we are respected in, 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 in many states across the country because from the outside, we look like, hey, these people are really offering useful courses and they're helping teachers to better engage students. And, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, that's really important that we're able to do that and we're able to add that extra twist, as I said. So are most of the teachers who take your courses then working in public schools with large class sizes? Is, is, yep. that, is that correct? Yeah, they're working with, um, I'd say, probably 60% of the teachers who register with us are elementary they're working anywhere from 28 to 32 students per class. Um, and they're, they're right up against the wall. I mean, they're facing all the stresses that we know teachers face. And there's a tremendous amount of, um, of stress, of, um, of unhappiness. Um, and, 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 you know, we, 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 we see a lot of that, by the way, that, that's coming at us every single day. And we we are handholders. We we feel like I feel like we're monks and nuns, you know, ministering ministering to the poor and the hungry here because um, teachers are in a, a, a kind of in a battlefield out there, if you will. Now, there's a lot of them that that not a lot, some that know how to thrive in that environment, but um, I, I can't tell you how many teachers that we encounter that says, you know, I don't know if I can do this anymore, and as you know. The, the statistics are, are, are um, amazing. Um, 50% or more of the teachers who enter the profession today will not be teaching in five years. Yeah, I know that. Amazing. Just yeah. amazing. It's a huge turnover. Huge turnover. And, and think of all that intellectual capital that's getting wasted, in a sense, in public education. It's just it's, it's a shame. It's teaching story time. Briefly, teaching stories invite us to see the world with a new perspective. Often featuring a wise fool or trickster animal, they can be humorous with many shades of meaning shining through the story. I have told teaching stories for the past 40 years with great effect, not only for the listener, but for me as I have learned so much about myself through recounting these stories. Today's teaching story is called, Guess What? A wag met the wise fool. In his pocket, he had an egg. Tell me, wise fool, are you any good at guessing games? Not bad, said the wise fool. Very well, then, tell me what I have in my pocket. Well, give me a clue, then, said the wise fool. It is shaped like an egg. It's yellow and white inside, and it looks like an egg. 
some sort of cake, said the wise fool. Let's have some fun interpreting this teaching story. Become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and you have access to our detailed comments on how this story applies to education and parenting. Of course, that's just our perspective. The fun comes with community dialogue as the many shades of the teaching story come alive. See you there. Well, I know that in your earlier days that you did a lot of work on South Whidbey Island with a group there, and I'd like to hear just a little bit about that, but more importantly, how it affected uh, your uh, outlook on education. Well, it, um, I did retreats for teachers through the Whidbey Institute, um, programs like Earth, Justice of Spirit, Educating for Global Consciousness. We had teachers from Hong Kong, Ireland, Turkey, England, Canada, and the U.S. convene, about 15 of us at the Whitby Institute for a period of a week. And we also had a, uh, had built a social network specifically for these teachers and the students they would ultimately bring in when they went back to school. And teachers were doing collaborative projects across cultural lines um, and learning about other cultures and communicating with each other and so what I saw and what we've seen a lot in our work is I judge what I do, not according to just what the teacher says to us about, hey, Mike, this is what I got out of your course, but what her students or his students are saying. And so we, we try to get student input through products, uh, you know, articles that they've written, poems that they've published, websites that they've developed, uh, videos that they've made that express what they are learning from what the teacher has been teaching them according to what we gave the teacher. So, so we saw in that particular case, um, students really waking up, students really feeling like, hey, now I'm living in a bigger world. I'm not just living in Sobersworth, England or Hong Kong or Ankara, Turkey. Um, I'm connecting with kids just like me who are living, you know, 5,000, 10,000 miles away. And so their worlds got bigger. And these kids had a have a greater sense of uh, maybe who they are, that they're not just a, a citizen of a particular town, but they're a citizen of a larger world. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, what was the effect on you as the development of a person in, in by through engaging, in other words, your self-development? How was that influenced? We talked earlier about Parker Palmer and, uh, of course, all about the importance of the teacher and the quality of the teacher. And um, I, uh, Josette especially, but I also work in how the actual process of engaging education uh, in this way changes us in uh, the quality of ourselves. Uh, what have you experienced there? Well, um, I found that uh, when I started Heritage, I was a little cautious, maybe afraid, <laughs> might be another way I could say it, of really putting out what I felt I wanted to do because I wasn't sure if the education world was going to accept it or if we would get lambasted by administrators, et cetera, and so forth. Um, but I, I, I think my experiences have caused me to um, overcome some of those anxieties and concerns and say, you know, Mike, you just got to put it out there. And, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And so what? You know, just keep on going. So I think 
It's given me courage. It's given me hope that small successes are possible. I'm not doing world-changing things. I mean, you know, 10 teachers at a time, 12 teachers here, 12 teachers there, small gains. And I have faith that these small seeds that we plant are bearing fruit somehow. And I've seen the results of that. So to me, um, it's just given me a faith that in spite of the difficulties that we know are in education, good things can be done and we can take some pride in that. Great. Well, uh, Mike, I know that personally you've been doing a lot of work uh, or a significant event and have a new book about some work you've been doing in Africa. So could you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, um, I have been engaged with um, a peacemaker in the East African country of Burundi who during the ethnic wars between Hutus and Tutsis mobilized young people to go into villages and bring the conflicted parties together and forgive and make peace through the venue of uh, rebuilding homes together. I was so impressed with his work that I decided to get engaged and also make it an educational project. So after the first trip to Burundi in 2004, I started a nonprofit called Youth for a New World. In the, in the ensuing five years, we raised three quarters of a million dollars. And at one point we had recruited um, 15 schools in the United States and paired them with 15 schools in Burundi where students were writing letters to one another and also uh, doing email exchanges. And then we would go and do conferences with teachers and students in Burundi, and then we'd do conferences with teachers and students in the United States, and we'd have you know an auditorium with uh, maybe 150 students and 20 or 15 teachers. And I'd got some African drummers in Seattle and they would come, I think they were from Zimbabwe, and they would, play African music and everybody would be getting up and dancing. And then um, we'd sing together, we'd talk about the importance of um, not only learning about the, the world and its needs, but being able to make a difference and looking at your life as something that's something that's bigger than yourself to be involved in. And the kids really got that message of, of the fact that there's hope, the fact that their caring can make a real difference. And uh, I saw a, a huge shift in young people who were engaged in that project. And um, the book uh, that I wrote about Prosper and Dabi Shuria and his work also mentions uh, the educational project and cites some specific students who were involved, who I uh, just was, was in touch with this year as I was finishing off the book. One was a woman, called, uh, a girl called Nikki Hinton. She's now Nikki Hinton Duke. She's married. She has two or three kids of her own. She's working in Vancouver, Washington. And um, Nikki was part of uh, a class that was involved in, in putting on a huge, what turned out to be a huge fundraiser. And um, she speaks about what a, uh, um, a groundbreaking experience it was for her that really changed her life and changed how she thinks and changed how she's raising her own children. So... Um, I look at that and I say, oh my gosh, to me, it just seemed like, hey, that was a little project, but it had this huge effect on a lot of kids. That's great. Let, let me get something clear. So when you were in Africa, 
Then the uh, audit, you spoke to the auditorium with African students. And when you were in America, you spoke to an auditorium with uh, African, uh, with American students and teachers. Do I have that right? Yes, that's right. And did you do, was there any cross-fertilization? For instance, did you show a, a video of one to the other? Or yeah. How, what kinds of cross-fertilizations happened in that? Yeah, we, we took videos of students in Burundi. Um, speaking to the American students and would bring it back and I'd show the video. Uh, we also did um, these, these lesson plans, um, cooperative lesson plans where students in Burundi and students in the United States were doing the same lesson plan. And then they would um, cut out certain portions and mail them to the other classroom. And so we were able to take a look at what the students in Burundi were doing and the students in Burundi were able to take a look at what the kids in America were doing. So they got this sense of, um, of, of each other. Also, when students would write letters, um, we would, I would coach the teachers on how to help the American students engage with those letters. And like, it's kind of like, you know, you, you sort of are, are, are like an archaeologist. You know, you're really looking at this as a product of a culture. And, and, and what is it saying? And, and so one of the things that the American students just were blown away by was how easily the Burundian students would express love. You know, we love you, Americans. We love this. I love you so much. And that just that was really something that was they, they felt was odd because that's not part of our experience. We don't we don't use that word as much in a public setting. And here, here the Burundian students were really pouring their heart out. The other thing that came across is how many Burundian students wrote about, um, oh, I lost my mother or um, my first mother and dad are gone now and now I have another mom and dad. And obviously the American students understood, well, their parents were killed in the war, you know, and they were maybe three or four years old. Um, but how resilient they sounded and how much optimism they had in spite of all that they went through. So that really gave these American kids a pause. Um, and I realized that I had, I mean, when we think of our, our giving back, I went over to Burundi thinking, okay, we're going to help the Burundians. But I'll tell you very, very clearly, they have more to give us than we've been. And, and when I got back to the States, I said, oh my gosh, what I saw in Africa was this real sense of interdependence, um, and caring for one another. Uh, we live such siloed existence here in the United States. And um, if there was a way to sort of break down those barriers just a little bit and show kids uh, another way of being, uh, that was a major outcome of that, of that whole project. Great. Well, thank you for doing that, and thank you for relating it. Um, before we uh, sign off here, I always like to give... Um, Give, give my guests a chance to either ask any questions or to uh, say anything that I might have missed uh, in the conversation. Uh, what would you like to say as a, as a parting gift to us? Well, I would say that um, for the most part, there's going to be educators who are going to be listening to this. And um, I would say continue to find ways to follow your heart. Um, the the sort of proclivity to to go numb in this culture is is really strong, particularly for idealistic 
and, and you want to do things that are going counter to the current. Find fellowship with like-minded people to keep your spirit up and uh, just, you know, tap into the deep silence within yourself out of which that still small voice will speak and lead you to the next new vision, a new horizon. I think that's really important in our work is not to give up, not to fall into um, subtle lassitude, but um, just just keep your spirit alive. Um, and that's that's what the world needs. And that's what the students that we're trying to teach need. That's beautiful. That is, that's really a beautiful send-off. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Bob. Meetings with Remarkable Educators is brought to you in part by our friends and supporters on Patreon. If you enjoy our podcast and want access to enriching gifts for parents and educators, please visit patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and consider becoming a patron. Your support means the world to us and will allow us to continue this essential project. Our sound engineer is Dimitri Young. Our webmaster is Nathan Young, and our all-important social media maven is Cleo Young. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at remarkable-educators.com. This is Bob Lovemore reminding you that holistic relationships with children leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives. With respect for you and for children everywhere, see you next time.